the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Hi, listeners. We're happy to be with you. I have a comment here from a listener named Lucia. Lucia says, Christopher, Wendy, I can't explain how much this podcast is making my faith grow. That's awesome. I love hearing you while I take my daily walks. You're an awesome complement of each other. I'm sure that you're truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'll pray for you and all your ministry while I keep on recommending this amazing podcast to all my friends. Thank Thank you, you, Lucia. Wow, that's encouraging. I guess we should keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, let's do some more episodes. No, that is so encouraging. I I love that line where she said we're an amazing complement of each other. I think, you know, we, we know that in our minds, the masculine and feminine are complementary, that a husband and wife are meant to be complementary in the sense of a good balance, a good um, filling in, one filling in where the other is lacking. And um, it's interesting just to be reminded that that just encountering the goodness of God and giving, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. giving us that gift in our marriage is an encouragement to people and, and a sign of hope. And sometimes people don't even have many examples of that around them. So I'm, I don't, we didn't start doing this together for that reason, but that has been a fruit and we're very grateful for that. Yeah. What you said, Wendy, about there aren't many examples or sometimes in a person's life, we, they may not see many examples of complementarity between men and women. We live in a culture that is trying to erase that complementarity. In fact, the very word complementarity in many circles is a bad word. Like we're, we, we don't like this idea of complementarity because complementarity um, indicates difference, mm-hmm. right? That there's something different about you from me that is uniting. Oh, well, yeah, that's called maleness and femaleness. But in the world we live in today, people are after equality in the sense of sameness. And so I, I see, I, I remember some article I wrote for some organization, and I used the word complementarity, and they kept uh, changing the word complementarity and substituting mutuality. And I said, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not talking about mutuality. I'm talking about complementarity. Mm. But we, we really live in a world that's trying to erase that. So, man, I, 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 I think it's a lot is at stake when we don't recognize the complementarity of men and women, women, and in, in as much as our podcast might be an example to that, well, praise God. Mm-hmm. Um, I always want to just put a little disclaimer in there too, and say there's a lot of brokenness here in our relationship, but there's also a lot of love in the midst of it, and maybe that's the gift that we we offer. There, mm-hmm. there is a love that we have for one another in the midst of our messy, broken lives. I agree with that. Yeah, and. Um... With that, I just want to also ask you if you could update our listeners about anything going on with the TOB Institute. Sure. We have some exciting things coming up at the TOB Institute. We have our virtual conference at the end of April. It's free to sign up for, but click the link below uh, to learn more. you got to register for it. We have a Theology Body Level 1 online course coming up in uh, April. 
We have a Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery course coming up online in May. Favorite course I've ever taught. We filmed it last October. Uh, oh my gosh, it's it, what a thrill it was to teach that course. So learn more in the links below. And we have an in-person Theology of the Body Level 1 course in June. If you want to make a trip to Pennsylvania and have a five-day retreat, uh, consider that. But that one's going to fill up quickly uh, because we're only at half capacity with these COVID times. So. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Do we have our patron question for yes. the day? Just a reminder to our listeners, uh, patrons get first dibs on us answering one of their questions. If that's of interest to you, you can learn more about becoming a patron at the link below. So who is our patron today and what's the question? This is from Adam. Hello, Adam. I just want to say, Adam, thank you. Thank you for being a patron of the TOB <laughs> Institute. We cannot do this work without our patrons. We're so grateful to you. Adam says, we talk a lot about lust and the degrading of a person through a physical sexual act, but I'm often hearing about emotional affairs. Now, some emotional affairs turn into physical affairs, but what if a wife or girlfriend were to be seeking and desiring emotional companionship with someone other than her husband or boyfriend? Adam, great question. Uh, Wendy, you and I can speak here from experience of, of the need for boundaries, not just physical boundaries, but emotional boundaries and, and why that's important. Um, I want to just clarify, there was something he said, can you reread the line about lust and sexual, physical, something, mm -hmm. can you read that again? Yes, he said, uh, lust and degrading of a person through the physical sexual act. Okay, lust and degrading a person through the physical sexual act. A physical sexual act is only degrading in as much as it is lustful. What do we mean by lust? Lust is an inverted sexual desire. The goal of that sexual desire is to please myself at the expense of someone else. And that kind of act is degrading in as much as you treat a person who's made in the image and likeness of God and is never meant to be treated as a thing we treat the person as a thing. That's why it's degrading. But I just wanted to clarify that it's not the sexual act in itself that is degrading. That can be a beautiful, holy, wonderful thing and is meant to be in God's plan. So I just wanted to make that clarification. Similarly, our emotional needs, our emotional desires, our need for emotional closeness, our need for emotional affirmation, our need for an emotional fulfillment is not in itself bad. But when we treat other people as the means to that fulfillment, when we treat a, a person as an instrument of my own happiness, of my own fulfillment, whether that be at a physical level or an emotional level, in as much as we would be using a person, we're degrading that person. We're not honoring that person. So what if a wife or a girlfriend was seeking emotional companionship with someone outside of, of that primary relationship, a marital relationship or a committed boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? Where is that line? Where is the boundary? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there is a boundary. There is a line. And you and I, Wendy, I remember early on in our relationship, we weren't even married yet. We were engaged, and I was a student in graduate school, and I found myself really blessed by a, a certain relationship with a female student mm -hmm. uh, with whom I was studying. She, had, she and I had a lot in common, and we would talk after class, and 
I was like, oh my gosh, have I crossed this line? Is, is this not right? Am I, am I violating my relationship with you? Right. And I came, came to you with it and I said, I really like this person. Her name's Jeanette and, and we're having some good conversations. I, I just want to put this in the light with you. And I don't want there to, I, I just want to, it was the, like new territory. What are the boundaries mm -hmm. here? And you gave me a, a beautiful freedom to, to enjoy my friendship with her. And you also said, well, let's bring her over. Let's get to know mm -hmm. her together. Let's become, let's build a friendship with her. Well, we've been friends with Jeanette now for 25 years. Yeah. And, and who knows if, if you had been a little more suspect of my heart there, um, maybe we would have missed out on this beautiful lifelong friendship we've yeah. had and with her husband and um, she later got married and we've been very close all these years. So there is a, there's a freedom that's possible there, but also I'll tattle tale on myself here. I've had to recognize, and we've been through situations where I have crossed boundaries, mm -hmm. um, emotionally, where I, I had a certain, uh, emotional need that I felt wasn't getting met in our marriage. And I wrongly started looking for other places to take it. Mm -hmm. And I know that wounded you. Um, why did it wound you? Well, it wounded you because I took a place of my heart at a depth, at a level that belongs to you and only you should only belong to you. And I opened that up to somebody else. There was not a physical crossing of, of boundaries there, but there was an emotional crossing of a boundary that you rightly felt as a wound to our relationship. And I remember, again, I wanted it to be out in the light with you. Um, and I, I put it out in the light with you and, and you felt, whoa, 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 whoa. You felt the, there something was wrong, that a boundary had been crossed. So there, there is a need for boundaries here. Um, and we, we should be discerning about the movements of our hearts, but not suspect of our hearts here. And what do we mean? What's the difference? Let me quote from John Paul II. He says, lust, and he's not only speaking about physical lust, he's also speaking about a, what you might call an emotional lust. He says, lust is not always plain and obvious. Sometimes it is concealed so that it passes itself off as love. It's not always plain and obvious. Sometimes it conceals itself or passes itself off as love. That was the true in my case. Uh, I, I really believed that I was ministering to this person. In the work that I do, mm -hmm. lots of people present their emotional needs to me, and I seek the best I can in the right, appropriate way to, to minister to them, help them, pray for them. This person had presented some emotional needs to me, but she kind of had kind of latched onto me in an unhealthy way. And I ended up kind of latching on also in an unhealthy way. Uh, thank God it all came out into the light and it was, it was the proper boundaries were put up in the right way. Uh, does this mean that we should distrust the human heart because we see these weaknesses? Yeah. What do you think John Paul II's answer is? I think he, he says, says no. He says no. <laughs> we should not distrust the human heart. It is only to say that we must remain in control of our hearts. We must remain in control of our hearts. And I remember going to confession uh, when, when that boundary crossing had taken place. And there was, there was a certain level of pride I had because I was in a, a situation with a woman who was very needy, 
and I hadn't crossed any physical boundaries. And I was like, you know, like almost congratulating myself that I'm strong enough to be in that situation and not cross physical boundaries. And my confessor just saw right through my pride. Uh, he knows me very well, and we all need confessors who know us well if we can find them and stick with them. Um, and he said, Christopher, fine, your, your, your body was in control, but your heart was not. Mm. Your heart was not. And I had, yeah, that's true. My heart got out of control there. Mm. Um, so we must learn how to control our hearts in the sense of directing them towards the true, the good, the beautiful. I love that story. I love that quote that you shared. I love the mercy and that you would share it to illustrate our human brokenness and yes. God's mercy and yes. all of that. I want to reflect back to you that one of the things you commented on was sharing with me about these different relationships. And I just am very grateful to you for that. Um, although, you know, when it's not, when it wasn't a good situation, it was painful to me to hear about the relationship. I was still grateful that, you know, it wasn't kept secret. Um, and I think there's something interesting about the question of the boundaries. In one sense, I know that in, in the story you shared, you're talking about a time when you really were just crossing boundaries in a, in a kind of, I don't know if we can use the word objective way there. But some people may be in relationships where when their significant other, their spouse, their boyfriend has just a personal need for boundaries that maybe seem a little bit too much. Yeah. And I think that we're, we're called on to honor those boundaries and that can be painful and we need to open that pain up to the Lord. But um, that the, there's not as much clear objectively, you know, this is not to be shared. For example, I have, we have some friends who are a married couple and have been in a group with other married couples where they agreed together as a group to share very deep things, part of their own spiritual journey. That if any one of those wives had sought out just one of the right. husbands right. to share privately would right. have been inappropriate, but there was there was a, an agreement amongst them. So just to say that it isn't, a, you know, one objective truth. There is a sensitivity to the unique person that with whom you're in a relationship as well. I know Adam's been hearing about the concept of an emotional affair. And I, as we've been saying, it's not a clearly defined term, but hopefully just some of these reflections on the human heart and our um, just ability to turn to the Lord in our need and to honor the relationship that we're in. Um, we pray that that is, you know, helpful vision for you. And where there have been boundaries crossed, may mercy be the guiding star of how those situations are dealt with. Uh, our, our emotional needs make us very, very vulnerable. And learning how to open up those emotional needs to the Lord in prayer, learning how to be, to have those needs met in and through a deepening intimacy with Jesus and with Mary is, is really, really an important part of the journey. So I hope what we've been sharing in our own vulnerable way here 
uh, is blessing somebody out there. There is hope and there is healing, but it can only come through God's mercy. Yeah, please, Lord, show us how to be merciful. Show us how to see one another in our brokenness as you see us. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, how can people who've been educated on sexuality through pornography learn what is good and what is not? Even some Catholic authors are vague on the acceptable behaviors. I've even read that some would encourage many kinds of behaviors that are found in pornography. But how can a generation who's been educated by porn learn to trust their heart? God bless you, dear, dear listener. This is one of the deepest crises of our times, is that our main point of reference for sexuality is a diabolical distortion that comes from hell. Uh, pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. This is the truth. This is the truth. God created us male and female and called the two to become one flesh as a sign of the great mystery of Christ's love for the church, a heavenly reality, right? Our, our, our bodies as male and female and the call of the two to that marital union, this is a sacramental mystery, a holy, sacred reality. John Paul II describes the union of man and woman as the primordial sacrament, the original, the fundamental sacrament in the, in the created world, right? That's to be distinguished from the summit of the sacramental order. The summit of the sacramental order is the Eucharist. But you might say at the trailhead leading us to the summit is, is marriage, the two becoming one flesh. That's exactly why the enemy is after it. Here's the good news. Christ came into the world to undo the work of the enemy, to untwist what sin has twisted up, but only Christ can do it. We have to let him in. We have to, we have to go on a journey. Jesus says, take nothing but a walking stick for the journey. It's going to be a long haul. We have to make peace with the journey, and the journey step by step will lead us to the full purification of all that sin has twisted up in us. But along that journey, there are, thanks be to God, there are rest spots, there are times of peace and relative tran tranquility because we're enjoying new victories. But there are other times on the journey where you're, you're working through a real painful memory, you're working through a real diseased idea or image or, or uh, you know, I had my own exposure to pornography as a young man in the 70s and 80s. This is before the internet, but nonetheless, the, the movies I saw, the magazines I saw, those images got in my, my mind, got in my heart, and I have been on quite a journey over the last however many decades, just letting the Lord in step by step, layer by layer, into my heart to, to untwist what sin has twisted up. Make peace with the journey and keep going. If we put one foot in front of the other, we will arrive at our destiny. If we look at how long the journey is and kind of throw in the towel because, it's, oh my gosh, I got so much healing I need to go through. Ah, forget it. 
Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants from us. If we, if we don't take that first step, we won't take another, and we won't take another, and we won't take another. Of course, for all of us on our journey of, of inner healing and purification, uh, good counseling is, is, is going to be helpful, right? Find someone who really believes and thinks with the mind of the church, better yet, who has been immersed in St. John Paul II's theology of the body. We have a list of counselors that uh, we recommend uh, at the Theology of the Body Institute. We have them in our show notes of this podcast, so you can turn to them. These are people that we trust. Uh, good spiritual direction will be important. But let me, let me share what John Paul II calls the three infallible and indispensable means for living the theology of the body. Infallible, if we understand them correctly, we can't go wrong with them. Indispensable, we can't make the journey without them. And, and as I say this, you might be responding, well, that's just bread and butter Catholicism. And sure enough, it's true, but the theology of the body gives us a way of, of, of living this out that takes us into the depths and, and prevents us from just staying at the surface of these mm -hmm. three things. Yes. So here are the three things. Number one, John Paul II says, we must grow in an ever deeper relationship with the Lord through prayer. Yes. I'll come back to that in a minute. Number two, we must receive the sacrament of confession regularly. I'll say more about that in a minute. Number three, we must receive the Eucharist regularly. Mm -hmm. These are the three means, infallible and indispensable, for living out the theology of our bodies, for healing from all that has wounded us, from untwisting all of those hellish pornographic lies so we can re rediscover the glorious heavenly mystery of what it means that we are male and female made in the image of God. So prayer, prayer. What can we say about prayer from this lens of theology of the body? Prayer is where we get in touch with our deepest desires. There's some desire you had that took you to pornography. What was it? That was a derailing of your prayer life. Huh? Yes. The, the yearning we have for union, the yearning we have to understand the meaning of being male and female, is meant to lead us into the depths of prayer. What is prayer? Pope Benedict XVI says, When the Christian prays, he's seeking nuptial union with love eternal. He's seeking nuptial union with the Lord. We are destined for a union beyond our wildest imaginings, and it's a union with love eternal. The purpose of the male-female union is to lead us, to point us, to be a sign here on planet Earth that leads to that ultimate union, and that's why the enemy is after it. That's why he says, nope, you're looking for this. Come over here. Porn is what you're looking for. Click here. Look at this. This will satisfy your desire. Prayer is learning how to redirect the desire that we took to porn and say, Lord, I open it to you. Show me why you made me a man. Show me my, why you made me a woman. Show me why you gave me all these desires in my heart. I've taken them to this false infinity. That's what Pope Benedict XVI calls all the, the idols we turn to to satisfy our desire. He calls it false infinity. And the desire we're talking about here that has led us to porn in the past, but is meant to lead us to prayer to the Lord, it has a name. It's called eros, E-R-O-S. The church borrows their language from the Greeks here 
And John Paul II in the theology of the body says, Eros is meant to be this upward impulse of the human spirit towards all that is true, good, and beautiful, so that what is erotic also becomes true, good, and beautiful. That's the untwisting of the hellish mockery of porn and rediscovering the heavenly reality of our creation as male and female in the image and likeness of God. Prayer is where we get in touch with that deepest desire, and we open it to the Lord. We got to do that every day, every day. Get in touch with our deepest desire and open it to the Lord. What is confession, the sacrament of confession from this perspective? It's really, you could say, it's getting naked before the Lord. If the goal is nuptial union, then every husband and wife knows they can't engage in the, in the nuptial union uh, with their clothes on. We have to get naked before the Lord. Confession is where we take off all of our masks, we take off all of our fig leaves, if you will, and we expose our hearts as they really are to the Lord. I would recommend for this person who's been exposed to a lot of porn to, to set an appointment with the priest, tell him it's going to be however long, maybe a couple hours even, and do a general confession. By that I mean take an inventory of your entire life. Uh, go back to the earliest memories of pornography. Go back to the earliest things that formed you to th in the way you think about sexuality in that twisted, lustful way. Go through and go through year by year. This happened when I was 12. This happened when I was 13. This happened when I was 14, 15. Go through it all. I, I remember when I did a general confession years ago, I think I was with the priest for like three hours. Mm. And I, I went through everything I could remember. And some of the stuff I had already confessed, so I didn't need to be re-forgiven. But there is, there is a certain merit to putting your whole life out in the light in what is called a general confession. And to keep it straight in my mind and to remember it all, I just wrote it out on several pieces of paper, all these memories I had, things that had formed me, shaped me. And after the confession, after I received my absolution, after I did my penance, I remember lighting those pages on fire and seeing them go up in smoke. Mm. And it was a beautiful healing symbol to me. So regular confession, a general confession if you've never had one, uh, and then regular confession. Whenever you fall, go to confession. If you're at a stage in your life where you're not falling into major sin on a regular basis, still you should be going to confession. My recommendation would be at a, at a minimum once a month, once a month. I have a, a meeting with my confessor once a month. He's also my spiritual director, and it's two hours, two hours a month where I'm just exposing all the stuff that's going on in my heart, getting it out and exposing it to the Lord and receiving absolution. Uh, I, you know, Maybe you're not able to do that, but start where you can and keep going. Mm. Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist, that's the third infallible, indispensable means for living this out. What is the Eucharist? It's the consummation of the marriage. It's the consummation of the marriage. Prayer is where we get in touch with our desire for union with the Lord. Confession is where we get naked before the Lord. Eucharist is where we take all of our yearning. We are yearning for the true infinity, right? Eros is a yearning for infinite satisfaction, for infinite love. The Eucharist is the only true answer to that cry of the heart. Untwist every sexual perversion and you will discover yourself at the Eucharist. Let me say that again. Untwist every sexual perversion. 
untwist every diseased idea or image you have of the human body, of human sexuality, untwist every sexual perverse act that you have ever seen in pornography, untwist it by God's grace. We can't untwist it ourselves, but we can say, Lord, I give you this twisted idea. I give you this diseased image. I ask you, please, by the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist it in my mind, in my heart, in my memory. And where will you find yourself? You'll find yourself at the Eucharist. What do I mean? Remember St. Paul saying, the one flesh union is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. The holy communion of Christ and the church is consummated in the Eucharist. And when all the smoke is cleared, when all the lies are cast out, when all the confusion is unconfused, when Christ has crushed the head of the serpent and really and truly undone the work of the enemy in our lives, where do we discover ourselves? We discover ourselves at the Eucharist, at the consummation of the marriage of the Lamb. And we, learn, we are learning here how to open our deepest desire for infinite love to infinite love revealed in the Eucharist. I could say much more. I should say much more. I do say so much more in the courses I teach, uh, in the books I've written, but in this format with the podcast, I, I'll, I'll leave it there. I hope that is helpful to you. I think that was really inspired by the Holy Spirit. I felt just a profound um, gifting as you're answering that question. And I know you mentioned in your books, plural, and I, I think for this particular question, I, I do want to direct our um, listener to a book you wrote answering a lot of specific questions about chastity um, because part of the listener's question implied a certain lack of clarity yeah, about what nobody's even, talking about this yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll just jokingly say or you know tease that the book is not called here are the rules or right. you better watch out the book is called good news good news about sex and marriage and i think it answers all these questions and it it opens your heart so much to how much the lord loves us and desires our good and how we can align ourselves with his plan for us and not with the evil one's plan for yeah. us it is so good news i really recommend that and here's part of the good news a really good part of the good news. Christ's plan for us is so much more glorious, so much more fulfilling than any false momentary satisfaction we get from the deceptions of the enemy. We have to be convinced Christianity is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to an infinite feast of love. If we don't know that, if we think Christianity is just a bunch of rules to follow to keep us from real happiness, no wonder we take our, our desires to what I call the fast food gospel, the secular promise of immediate gratification for those hungers, and that's what porn is. It's fast food. You get uh, you get a, a, a cheap thrill, you get a, a, a glimmer of some semblance of fulfillment, and then it dumps you out on the other side shamed and emptier than you ever have been. Christ can meet us right there and redirect our desires towards all that is true, good, and beautiful. Prayer, confession, Eucharist, these are the infallible and indispensable means for becoming 
the men and women we are created to be. There is a path laid before us for us to rediscover who we really are. Who are we really? We are indispensable. We are unrepeatable. We are irreplaceable gifts of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.